The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily program begins right now. To me, it never felt like the Senate Republicans wanted this guy in office. He was a Trump pick. They didn't like that. They probably like him as a person, Herschel as a person. But there wasn't the intensity on the part of the Republicans as there was on the part of the Democrats. I felt it. You felt it. But we don't change anything. We have the same people in place in leadership, same people in place apparently at the RNC. That's not, perhaps that's not changing. We just keep doing the same thing over and over again. The Republicans just lacked the intensity in their uh, support or lack thereof for Herschel Walker. He was outspent three to one, really had uh, very little chance, even though it was nip and tuck uh, right up until 1030 or so when they announced uh, that Warnock had won. Somehow you just kind of knew which direction it was going to tilt as those uh, final ballots were turned in from some of the bigger counties like Fulton County. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining our growing audience. You can get to the live video stream of this show at our website. That's at thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live, and you can see the, see the show live every weekday morning at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. Uh, we also post the programs after the fact on uh, our website as well. So, as Warnock said last night in his victory speech, the people of Georgia have spoken. They've chosen the radical Marxist. They, the, he's even been accused of beating his wife. There's footage of his wife sobbing over abuse. He's cut from the same cloth as Jeremiah Wright, really. He's a reverend. He's a pastor who also happens to be a racist, who hates Jews. That, that was in the story. That, that, that was in the news a couple weeks ago, remember, when Donald Trump sat down with someone who said some derogatory things about Jews. But in this case, it doesn't matter at all. It, it doesn't even factor into the equation. This is what Georgians wanted. This is, you know, the biggest anomaly of all in just watching how these elections play out in swing states where the rules and the regulations have been so watered down because COVID, this is from uh, AP. It says voters re returned Warnock to the Senate in the same cycle. They reelected Republican governor Brian Kemp by a comfortable margin. Kemp won by a 53.4 percentage of the vote to 45.9 against Stacey Abrams. That was just a few weeks ago. He won by, he won by almost eight percentage points. And yet nobody seems to be able to explain why so many people who voted for Kemp either didn't vote for Walker or actually voted for Warnock. Where, where are the pollsters trying to get into the bottom of this? Where are the pollsters or, or even just the interviewers talking to Georgian voters saying, yeah, you voted for Kemp, but not for Walker in the first election? And then this time around, it's razor thin. And of course, the counties, as always, the counties to turn in all of the results, the last, 
are the dark, dark blue counties. This is uh, Laura Ingram pointing that out last night as well. Clip two. Well, I have a question. This might be a dumb question, but why is it that the heavily Democratic counties are always the last ones to report? I mean, I, presumably they count, they count, and there are numbers, and they count. There are more people, obviously, but it seems like it kind of, this is, I hate to say this is just a familiar refrain, but it's a very familiar refrain to us from election night past yeah. to just the midterms, uh, yeah, et cetera. Well, here again, these same storylines, they're just playing out over and again because we're never going back and correcting the problems to begin with. It's a, it's a, a corrupt system, for sure, especially in certain swing states. So you have more and more Republicans saying, look, if you can't beat them, you, you got to join them. We've got to get in on all this early voting. We've got to get in on all this ballot harvesting. We've got to do what Democrats are doing. This is what Newt Gingrich said last night, clip seven. Look, I mean, you, you have to play the game by the rules that are existing. Uh, that means, for, for example, if you want Generation Z voters, you've got to be on TikTok even if, in fact, in the long run, we may abolish TikTok as a Chinese communist device. It means that you have to recognize early voting. And let me just point out, Democrats focus on elections. Republicans focus on campaigns. Uh, Democratic consultants ultimately are paid to win elections. Republican consultants are paid to buy TV ads for campaigns. Very different models. So this is the wave of the future. We've got to get on TikTok. Uh, we've got to stop worrying about campaigns. Just tuck the, uh, I guess, tuck the, uh, the, the one who's running for office, put him in the basement like Katie Hobbs and uh, Joe Biden, and just focus instead on the election. Focus instead on the process. This is where we are. I mean, he's a prominent Republican saying we've got to do what they're doing. This, uh, this by the way, following the COVID, they, in Georgia, remember, this was uh, early on in Biden's presidency. Remember how they were screaming when uh, the state legislature in Georgia just basically dialed it back ever so slightly to, to try to restore faith in the election process, putting a few rules, tiny rules at that in place. And I mean, the Democrats were screaming. This was Jim Crow 2.0. The vote was going to be suppressed. And, of course, it's been record turnouts ever since. A record number of ballots ever since. They want no rules. They want it wide open, just like the southern border. And that way, when those deep, dark blue counties turn in their results, last but not least, you know if it's nip and tuck, it can always, always just barely edge in the favor of the blue candidate, the Democrat. This is from Newsmax, by the way. The new Black Panther Party will deploy armed guards at polling locations across Georgia during the runoff. This didn't raise any alarm bells. Think about if it would have been the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers deploying armed guards to protect the election process. It says the new Black Panther Party was joined by Black Lawyers for Justice and other groups in an effort uh, which they said is intended to protect voters from violence or intimidation. <laughs> they were there to, uh, to protect voters from being intimidated. They weren't intimidating at all, evidently. That's from uh, Newsmax. So again, like with three, four weeks ago, what are the big takeaways from this election in Georgia? Keep in mind, 
The Republicans had no intensity behind their support. He was outspent, Herschel Walker, three to one. Mitch McConnell, they sent uh, Lindsey Graham down, I believe. A few other prominent Republicans, but not Donald Trump. He was forbidden. Donald Trump is kept out. Herschel Walker was meant to distance. He was, he was meant to distance that relationship in the lead up to the, the runoff. And then he loses. He loses barely. And guess whose fault it is? <laughs> Donald Trump, of course. This is from the Washington Examiner. They didn't want Trump there, so he stayed away. And then Walker loses, and it's Trump's fault. You see how it works. Washington Examiner, it says, Republicans who want to move on from Trump look to Georgia. See, Mitch McConnell, all of them, all the rhinos, they want to move on from Trump. So they're looking to Georgia. Yeah, look at what he's done. He's cost us uh, the last three senator races in Georgia. This is the narrative. The Hill, Biden, Georgia voters rejected ultra-MAGAism in re-electing Warnock. You would think that would send up some red flags when, when these rhino Republicans start, uh, they're in lockstep with, Biden, with Joe Biden, with Joe Obama. Biden announces right away, Georgia rejects ultra-MAGAism. This is from Politico. It says, midterms deliver one last Trump loss, three takeaways from Georgia's Senate runoff. The Financial Times, double blow for Trump. Wow, a double blow? Says Raphael Warnock has won the runoff for the Georgia Senate seat in a second blow for former President Donald Trump in less than 24 hours. <laughs> What's, I don't even know what the other one is. 24 hours? Oh, I guess maybe the, the fringe benefits, the case in New York where they finally got to one of Donald Trump's companies. Yeah, tax violation. I mean, just combing through the tax, all of his tax returns to see people associated with Donald Trump who maybe didn't declare something that they had received as a gift. They didn't declare it on their taxes and the feds got him. Or the state of New York. I forget who's behind that case. There's so many of them. Two blows in 24 hours. A double blow, a double whammy. Donald Trump. Over and over, this one from The Hill says, GOP smells blood with wounded Trump. GOP? The GOP smells blood? Not, not the Democrat Party. Not the DNC. The GOP smells blood? What does it say in this latest issue of the Trumpet magazine? The forces aligned against him and Donald Trump standing virtually alone. You see it again, just like you did four weeks ago. This article says, Senate Republicans who want to move on from Donald Trump are smelling blood after a series of self-destructive errors by the former president that they think is opening the door for a GOP rival to challenge you. So he's just making one mistake after another. I mean, it's just a disaster. This is why when he does go and campaign, Donald Trump is the most popular Republican in Georgia. That's the truth. And you saw it two years ago as well. He's the most popular Republican in that state. And yet Mitch McConnell said, no, thank you. You keep out. And then you've got these false narratives. He's, he's what's wrong with everything in the Republican Party. He keeps losing. He's a loser. So they say. 
says the GOP lawmakers say Trump looks increasingly vulnerable in a primary after what they describe as his erratic behavior in recent weeks. He looks increasingly vulnerable. This is what you call wishful thinking. The, the truth is he won't go away. He won't go away. Here, here is the rhino Republican Party preventing Donald Trump from making an appearance in Georgia. So he stays away. Fine. And the Republican loses. And then they want to say it's Trump's fault. Doesn't even make sense. Listen to Mitch McConnell beginning one of his press briefings. Again, the same way that he did uh, last week, except with a different criticism this time around. Clip four. Uh, first, let me just say that uh, anyone seeking the presidency who thinks that the Constitution could somehow be suspended or not followed it seems to me would have a very hard time being sworn in uh, as president of the United States. And he's, of course, he's talking about Donald Trump, not Barack Obama. I've got some clips from Tucker last night showing these unconstitutional acts that uh, Barack Obama committed all through his presidency, focused on uh, immigration, illegal immigration. Yeah, the king came out in 2012 and just made the decree. He made the decree. That's further on in my notes, I believe. Let's play that first one from, uh, from Tucker's segment last night. Well, I knew him really well, um, and I, I always liked him. I mean, mm -hmm. he's my neighbor and friend and had dinner with him a bunch. I mean, I knew him, um, but in the background... Yeah, not that one. It's funny about there you go. profound change. You always imagine when things change radically, there are going to be troops in the streets, and you're going to know this is the pivot point. This is the revolution. But that's most of the time not what actually happens. Usually there's some guy in a suit and tie speaking soothing words. And you don't even know that everything is changing when it is. That's the case with what happened on June 15th, 2012, a decade ago. On that day, Barack Obama walked into the Rose Garden and announced, full of self-confidence and coolness, Obama announced that his administration decided actually not to deport millions of illegal immigrants. Henceforth, Barack Obama explained, these millions of people would no longer be identified, in fact, as illegal aliens or even breakers of federal law, which everyone had assumed they were. No. Going forward, they would be called dreamers. So illegal aliens are bad, of course, but dreamers are good. And because to control language is to control reality, these dreamers would no longer be subject to federal law. They'd be above federal law because you can't ban a dream. So Obama just comes out and decides and says it. Yeah, let them in. They're dreamers. They're no longer illegal aliens. This was just like a, a kingly decree. Tucker went on to say this, clip 10. Now, what Obama did that day was, strictly speaking, illegal. Several courts later ruled that it's illegal, obviously. Only kings and legislatures get to change the law. American presidents do not have that power and never have. But no one stopped Barack Obama from doing this, so he did it anyway. And the effect, the intended effect, was immediate. Foreign nationals flooded into the United States. No one stopped him, including Mitch McConnell. No, uh, no statements, no coming out to the, the press pool and saying, uh, first, let me just say, if you, know, if you hear Mitch McConnell say, first, let me just say, unscripted, he comes out with that first, most likely it's going to be aimed, criticism aimed at the bad orange man. Yeah, what Donald Trump said in a tweet from Mar-a-Lago, it's disqualifying. But nothing Barack Obama did for eight years 
or what he's doing today in his third term is disqualifying. Not in the eyes of Mitch McConnell. No, the establishment, it's, it's all one in its alignment against Donald Trump. The Uniparty, for sure. CNN asked Mitch McConnell, by the way, about that, that statement and if he would throw support behind Donald Trump. Should he win the nominee? This is clip five. This is the second straight week you've come out to begin your press conference criticizing Donald Trump. Can you say categorically that you would not support him if you were the Republican nominee? What I'm saying is it would be pretty hard to be sworn in to the presidency if you're not willing to uphold the Constitution. There's your leader of the Republican Party in the Senate. So much weakness. So much weak. He has more in common with Barack Obama than he does with Donald Trump. It's true. It's true. All of these weak Republicans. You had the guy, I played the clip from the lieutenant governor from Georgia last week. He went into the polling booth, stared at the ballot, and he couldn't even vote for Herschel Walker. A Republican couldn't vote for the Republican. And so what does he do? He Basically, last week, he announces before the world, don't vote Herschel Walker. And then Herschel Walker loses... And guess what he has to say last night? This is clip uh, three. If you're a Republican, you're disappointed, and the only way to explain this is candidate quality, right? There, that's the only way to explain it, what's a nine-plus point delta between Brian Kemp's margin and where it looks like Herschel Walker's going to finish this up at. So candidate quality does matter. We need a once-in-a-generation leader to show up that actually understands conservatism, understands the values and the outcomes of making conservative decisions, and truly challenge Joe Biden in 24. If we don't take our medicine here, it's our fault. we got to take our medicine. We've got to learn the lesson from this. The lesson is that it's Donald Trump's fault. They keep saying this over and over again because he won't go away. They keep attacking him from every angle because he won't go away. Yesterday, I talked about some of the stunning parallels, really, with what you see in uh, our nation today, the United States, and what happened in God's church over three decades ago. Today, by the way, is the anniversary, the 33rd anniversary of the Philadelphia Church of God. 33 years of history. And, and for those of us that lived through that destruction, that abomination of desolation back in the late 80s, early 1990s, we saw, we saw right up close Satan's strategy for destroying an entire era of God's church. And then, of course, we got entangled into a six-year lawsuit with these corrupt ministers who were trying to, as I said yesterday, they were trying to bury the truth. They were trying to blot it out. And for, and for six years, we fought against them. For six years, we wouldn't quit. Even when they won the lawsuit, and we both sides were, were preparing for damages trial, they, they, still, they still just couldn't understand why we would be confident in our fight against them, why we, would, why we would take it on the offense. I was pointing this out this morning in Epistles class, just how important it is. Second, Second Corinthians 10 goes into our spiritual battle, the battlefield that we're on, how that we're fighting against Satan and society and self, and that the battlefield primarily is in, in our minds. That's where it all starts. 
That's why we've got to set our minds on the things above. Colossians 3.2, that's why we've got to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we've got to be diligent seekers. We've got to go on offense. We've got to take the battle to the opponent, our adversary, the devil. We can't just, we can't just sit back and react to all of his offensive tactics. My father makes a big point of this in the Overcomer booklet. He's quoting Churchill, and Churchill said there that in the early years of World War II, that Britain and the Allies were just responding to what Germany was doing. And then he makes the point that it's three or four times harder to go on offense. My father says, using that example, that history, you know, look, in our spiritual warfare, I mean, we've got to go on offense. We've got to take the fight to the enemy. And you don't see a lot of that in our nation today, which has been overcome by communist insurrectionists. They've got control. They've got control of the White House. They've got control of Congress, most in Congress. They, they certainly have control of these massive and powerful federal agencies like the DOJ and the FBI. They control the deep state, for sure. And a lot of it is because of weakness, like what you just saw there. A good old boy re Republican, a rhino, a Republican in name only. Oh, the Democrat machine. They're fine to let a few rhinos get in through here and there because they're the ones that, that basically are intimidated into submission to all of these radical Democrat policies policies that are destroying the nation. In that history with God's church, you can look more into this in raising uh, the ruins. But we were telling our brethren back in 2002, even as we were preparing for the damages trial, that we were still going to win and that we were going to expose these, these corrupt actors, these, these fake Christians. We were going to expose them, even as we were going to court, presumably to, to pay damages to the other side. Ralph Helge, he was the legal counsel for the Worldwide Church of God at that time. Listen to what he said. I mean, he even uses the, the, the terms misinformation. You hear a lot of that today. He says, Mr. Flurry, that's referring to my father, Mr. Flurry has made representations to the PCG members giving the misimpression that there's still the possibility in the case that the court is going to award PCG the right to pirate the Mystery of the Ages book. This is simply, again, misinformation. The case has been finally decided and concluded regarding Mystery of the Ages. And Mr. Flurry, out of sheer desperation, has exhausted all legal remedies available to him. Any attempt of PCG to acquire any court-ordered right to print the Mystery of the Ages is over, done, finished. Wow, that's pretty emphatic. Legally, there's no place else for him to go on this issue. I don't know how else I can say it. PCG's only right is to stand before the bar of justice and have damages assessed against them and attorney's fees for the wrong that it has committed. Well, that sounds very righteous. I mean, he's showing some righteous indignation there, is he not? We lost. There was no other legal recourse available to us at that time. All that we had in, in front of us was to 
stand before a judge in this world who says you owe them this many millions of dollars. In the, the book, Raising the Ruins, I uh, responded to this, this uh, memo that Helgi sent out. I said this, I think the underlying message in Helgi's attempt to misinform was this, why won't these guys, why won't, why doesn't the PCG just give up? He just wanted all of this to be over, and he boiled over at the fact that we intended to fight them, to take advantage of every possible legal option at our disposal. We just wouldn't quit. We wouldn't quit at the Feast of Tabernacles convention that year. This is the fall of 2002. Uh, I forget the exact dates, late September, early October. But my father gave a sermon or a message at the feast in which he explained that, that one, one reason the trial might have drug on for going on six years is because God wants us to expose them. God wants us to expose the WCG. He said that at the feast, then we all came home from the, the feast, ready to press forward and to keep fighting. And can you believe that within days after we got home, Ralph Helge, his representatives at the Worldwide Church of God, they called us up and said, look, we'd like to settle. We'll go ahead and, uh, we'll go ahead and give you the literature for uh, this sum of money. We couldn't believe it. It was stunning. It was such a stunning reversal. There were no options. You heard it in his own letter. There's no, if this case is over, there's nothing else he can do. You hear a lot of the same kinds of statements about Donald Trump. Now he's finally done it. Oh, it's just been one loss after another, and then this lawsuit, and now there's the special counsel and the Mar-a-Lago raid, and there's no way he's finished. He's just absolutely finished. That's what they said about us. The Worldwide Church of God said that about us in 2002. So why did they then hand the literature over to us? And as I told you yesterday, then they demanded that we give all the discovery back. We said, no way. We'll go to damages trial. Forget it. We had agreed to terms on the settlement. And then we pulled out after they said, you've got to give us the discovery back. Who's, who's in the driver's seat here? If you go by Helgi's memo... I mean, we had no options. We were calling the shots. That's the truth of it. We came roaring back. We got all of the books. We have it right here because of it. We've printed this. Mystery of the Ages. We've printed this. We've been printing it ever since 1997. Because little David went after Goliath on the battlefield. Little David went on offense. Even though we were outnumbered, even though the other side controlled so much more, even though the other side had so many more resources. Of course, God was on our side. That made all the difference. It's wonderful history. If you haven't uh, read or requested a copy of Raising the Ruins, call our operators today and request Raising the Ruins, the 800 number. It's one 930 3024. In the end, we got all the literature and we got Raising the Ruins thanks to all the documents that we kept. All the internal documents that expose the corruption 
that expose their evil doings. It's important history. We don't want to forget it. And as I say, you see a lot of stunning parallels with what's happening in the United States today. Listen again to uh, Tucker from last night. This is clip 11. So as a political matter, what is this? Well, you're hearing a lot about threats to democracy. This is an actual threat to democracy. This is an actual effort to disenfranchise American voters. It's an attempt to replace their vote with a new electorate. So this is incredibly dark. And it's not a referendum on the people coming here, most of whom are, well, they want to be here, so that says something good about them. No. This is a measure of the intent of the people in charge, the malice behind what they're doing. The malice and the intent behind what these people are doing. Barack Obama just walking up to the podium saying, hey, they're legal now. I said so. And nobody stopped him. In the last two years, five million illegals have just flooded across the southern border of the United States. Five million. How is that sustainable? Joe Biden makes a visit to Arizona yesterday for some ribbon-cutting ceremony. Doesn't even, he doesn't even visit the border. He's 120 miles away. He said before how oh, he's too busy. He's taken something like 260 vacation days in his two years in office. 260? He can't visit the southern border? He was asked about it yesterday. Hey, you're close. Are you going to go down there? No, there's more important things to do. I've got to get out there and celebrate left-wing policies. Meanwhile, the border remains wide open and anyone and their dog can get in. Just, just go to Mexico and, as Jesse Waters said last night, go to Mexico and walk north. It's an attack on the United States. It's an audacious, brazen attack, as Tucker laid out in his monologue last night. And yet you listen. You listen to some of these, some of these weak Republicans. Listen to, where's the John Bolton one? Play the John Bolton clip. Well, of course it's disqualifying. You know, the president takes an oath of office prescribed by the Constitution itself that says he will, to the best of his ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution. Trump himself took that oath. Uh, and effectively, he's now saying he didn't mean it. Uh, and if, God forbid, he were ever elected again and took the oath again, we couldn't trust that he would abide by those words. He's talking about a truth social tweet, a statement that uh, Donald Trump sent out on social media, either Friday night or Saturday morning. It's disqualifying. Meanwhile, these people are shredding the Constitution right before our eyes, weaponizing all of these government agencies to attack all things Trump in this uh, issue. Ready for war. This is January 2023. Call that 800 number to request your, your free subscription to the magazine. It says here, this is from my father, the battle lines are drawn. The stage is set for one of the most dramatic fulfillments of biblical prophecy we have yet seen in our lifetimes. On one side, see, Donald Trump's coming back. They keep attacking him. They keep saying he's finished because he's not. On one side of this political battle in America is the Democratic Party and the radical left. There is also, we now know, establishment Republicans. They're joined by the media, both leftist and conservative, and big tech, with the single exception now of Twitter. All are arrayed together. On the other side, 
is Donald Trump virtually alone, virtually alone, and having to fight off all of these vicious attacks. Yesterday, the January 6th committee announced that they were going to submit criminal referrals to the Department of Justice. They got to try to get, they got to try to try to get Donald Trump on more crimes. He's committing crimes. Which ones? Well, we don't know specifically. What, what statute are you referring to? Don't worry about the specifics. He's a criminal. Listen to this from CNN. It says, the House Select Committee investigating the Jan 6 attack on the U.S. Capitol has decided to make criminal referrals to the DOJ. A subcommittee of members was tasked with providing options to the full committee about how to present evidence of possible obstruction, possible perjury, and possible witness tampering sounds a bit a little bit like the the tax case you know the fringe bennett got to get him on something i mean didn't he perjure himself somehow some way we've got all these communications we've raided his house like we did rudy giuliani surely we can get him on something it says here the decision of whether the issue whether to issue criminal referrals has loomed large over the committee they're getting a lot of pressure a lot of pressure from these radical leftist Marxists like Raphael Warnock to, to, to get him indicted. We've got to get him in prison. We can't, we can't stop until he's in jail. Otherwise, he might come back and become the Republican nominee. We can't do that. That's not an option. It says here, members on the panel have been in wide agreement, members on the panel, they're all radical Democrats, or Republicans in name only, in the case of Cheney and Kinzinger. Members on the panel have been in wide agreement that former President Donald Trump and some of his closest allies have committed a crime. <laughs> they, they're, they're all in agreement that he, he, we have decided that we're in agreement he's committed a crime. Oh, really? W which one? What is the crime? They're a little vague on that, always. But they're going to get him somehow, some way, because he certainly can't come back to office, political office. And isn't it interesting, too, in all these cases, the way that the DOJ under Merrick Garland's leadership, I mean, they've, they've really been pretty uneasy about getting into court. I mean, the thing about a criminal referral, if it leads to an indictment, is it does have to play out in a courtroom somewhere, just like our case over Mystery of the Ages did. And again, we had, over the course of those six years, we had two judges that, that had common sense and that had some wisdom and judgment. And we had two judges that weren't. They were corrupt. They were biased. They ruled against us. So you never know what you're going to get. But the one thing about going into a courtroom is that, uh, you know, the defense gets to present its case as well. And then you've got to hand over some discovery to them. So it's a little bit tricky. When you're just trying to persecute a political opponent, you get into a courtroom where there might be a judge with some common sense, and, I mean, you're going to get smacked down if you don't have any evidence. So Merrick Garland, he's like walking this tightrope. He wants to please the radical leftist base. But he also doesn't want to look like a fool who's just persecuting a political opponent. That's a lot of the reason why he handed it over to Jack Smith for the special counsel. Just to continue on with the persecution. That's, that's all part of the game here. Just keep the investigations going so that you can 
conceal your tracks, your lawless tracks on the one hand, and also keep going after Trump. This is from the Washington Post. Special counsel Jack Smith has subpoenaed local officials in Arizona, Michigan, and, and Wisconsin, three states that were central to former President Donald Trump's failed plan to stay in power following the 2020 election. His failed plan to stay in power? He just said it was rigged, and he wanted to show the world the evidence. And Congress wouldn't look at it. A lot of courtrooms wouldn't look at it. They just dismissed it on, what was it, standing in most cases? And then it gets to Congress on January 6th, and the feds were ready. I mean, they were ready to incite a riot. That just shows you how far they were willing to go in order to cover up any and every fair evaluation of evidence that 100 people in Congress were prepared to present before Mike Pence and company. And then the feds incited the riot. And there's a lot about that riot, by the way, the so-called riot this uh, Proud Boy case, Enrique uh, Tarrio, his case is just starting. And Sam sent me this story this morning saying how they're, they're right now they're fighting in court over whether or not this D.C. officer, this police officer in the D.C. office, whether or not he can testify. The feds are trying to keep him from testifying. And he has said if he has to testify, he's going to plead the fifth. But there's evidence showing that this Tarrio, he's the Proud Boy. He heads up the Proud Boys. He's inciting an insurrection, right? He wants to take over the government of the United States. And he wasn't even in D.C. on the day of that protest, January 6th. Furthermore, he has all of this communication with Shane Lamond. He's the, the D.C. police officer. And he's basically telling the D.C. police, look, this is how we're going to go. We're not going to wear our normal attire. We're going to dress in plain clothes. We're going to huddle together. We don't want to be open targets for, uh, for Antifa. So and they're, they're announcing everything ahead of the protests. Who does this? Who tips off the police right there in D.C. when your plan is to overthrow the government of the United States? I mean, the communications themselves are so revealing. And this is why the Department of Justice just wants to blot out that witness. No way that that Lamont guy is going to take the stand because it just destroys their case. All that you need to know is that Enrique Terrio was leading an insurrection he was calling for a violent insurrection, and Donald Trump was behind him. So this is their case. And you get into a courtroom, as I say, and people begin to look like fools. And then they reveal themselves. No, no, no. We can't have Lamond testify, because that would actually reveal our, our malice, our malicious intent. This article, it says, Lamont plans to invoke the fifth privilege against self-incrimination if called to the witness stand after prosecutors warned the officer he could be charged with obstructing the investigation into Tario. After prosecutors warned him, threatened him, in other words, if you testify, you could face prosecution yourself. This is unbelievable what's happening. As I say, they control all the branches of government, except the Supreme Court. They control all the branches. It's frightening stuff. If you didn't understand God's truth, 
If you didn't understand how God is going to solve this, what can you do? You can't win elections. Not when they control the elections. Not when they control the machines. Not when they're harvesting ballots. Tarillo wasn't in Washington when the riot erupted, but authorities say he helped put into motion the violence of that day. He helped put into motion. Okay, so read on. Shortly before the riot, authorities say Tarillo posted on social media that the group planned to turn out in record numbers on January 6th, but would be incognito. Lamond was placed on administrative leave by police in February. Now, let me just get ahead to the main point here. It says, Lamond, an intelligence officer for the police force, was responsible for monitoring groups like the Proud Boys when they came to D.C. Tarillo regularly communicated with Lamond. You wonder, too, if he was an informant. He's had a history of helping the FBI, this guy. This dangerous insurrectionist. He's having regular dialogue with the D.C. police ahead of January 6th. I mean, this is some kind of insurrection. No guns, no weapons, and then regular communication with the D.C. police? Seriously? Tarillo told Lamont that Proud Boys would not be wearing their traditional colors of black and yellow in order to protect themselves from possible attacks from Antifa activists. It quotes one of his attorneys later, Enrique Tarillo. How can there be a sedition if the Proud Boys are informing law enforcement of their plans on January 6th? That's a, that's a good question. And a question that I hope is coming up in the courtroom. How can there be sedition here if the very leader of the Proud Boys is telling the D.C. police about all of his movements, all of his plans, what they were planning to do or not do? If anything, he's reaching out to the police ahead of Jan 6 to make sure they keep Antifa under control. Lee Smith in, uh, well, let me just back up to what was the previous article? Jack Smith, well, he's got his, his special counsel invested. He's trying to connect Trump to it. He wants all of the communications between Trump and election officials. This is what sort of precipitated the January 6th riot. I mean, there's so many hoaxes here. It's just one after another. The truth is being cast to the ground, as I, as I covered with you yesterday. You, don't, you can't just turn on the news and get the truth. You can't, you can't believe anything. They, they've been getting away with lawlessness and corruption for so long. Lee Smith brings that out uh, and focuses on Bill Barr and what he could have done. Think of Bill Barr. He's heading up the DOJ in December of 2019, three years ago, when Hunter Biden's laptop shows up. I mean, you've got all of these sanctimonious Republicans now, like John Bolton saying, that crosses a line, that disqualifies. And meanwhile, you've got, they're going after Trump for fringe benefits. And meanwhile, the laptop shows that China was paying the big guy who was Vice President Biden under Barack Obama, paid off by the Chinese, the Chinese Communist Party. It's, as I say, it's unbelievable, but it's happening. It's happening right in front of us. Lee Smith, there was a time when Republican voters hoped that Bill Barr would restore the credibility of federal law enforcement, but the numbers show that the GOP base has less faith in the DOJ and the FBI after Barr's two-year tenure than before it. Why? 
Why would they have less faith in these institutions? It says, and now with his latest anti-Trump salvo, it seems that Barr has joined the effort he was hired to stop, the U.S. Intelligence Service's anti-democracy campaign. This is, like Tucker said, here, here's your real threat to democracy. When you can't have faith in the election process, it's gone. It's over. The, Republican, the republic is finished. Smith says, that is, while Trump was being impeached, the agencies under Barr's control had evidence of Biden's financial dealings in Ukraine. The information found in the laptop supports Trump's contention that he had not abused his power, but rather as president had fulfilled his duty to protect U.S. national security by asking for information regarding the extent of the Biden's alleged corruption abroad. Yeah, he told Zelensky, you ought to look into this. There's some, tre he didn't use the word treason, but he says, you know, there's some lawless activity going on here. Uh, the Hunter on this, this uh, energy board, when he has no prior experience in the field whatsoever, and he's pulling in like 60, 70,000 a month? You talk about quid pro quo. It was happening in Ukraine. It was happening with Moscow. It was happening with China. Iraq, all, all over the place. Biden Incorporated. That's the new documentary by, uh, by Tucker Carlson. It's just devastating. A look at, well, the laptop proves it. They wouldn't look at it three years ago at the FBI. The, the media dismissed it two years ago. They only finally got around to admitting it was legit in March of this year. And yet even still, even still, it's not, it's certainly not disqualifying. This doesn't disqualify the big guy, does it? Of course not. What disqualifies anyone is a tweet from Donald Trump. Let's get your thinking straight, say the propagandists. It says, without anyone held accountable for crimes committed during the 2016 election, the coast was clear for the U.S. spy services to again tilt the political process on behalf of their preferred candidate. This is your FBI meddling in the 2020 election, and they got away with it, and they've tried to cover their tracks now that Elon Musk is, uh, is heading up Twitter. I mean, this guy yesterday, what's his name, the, the Baker fellow, I got it here somewhere, well, he got fired. He was basically special counsel for Jim Comey's FBI. He's corrupt through and through. He finds his, this is how deep the deep state is. Baker finds his way over as special counsel or, or a, a, a lawyer, attorney representing Twitter. And, and we're now learning that as Elon Musk, Matt Taibbi, and I forget, the Barry Weiss, as they're working to release this information, exposing this incestuous relationship between the government and social media, that, that James Baker was inside Twitter trying to scratch or scrub the connections that were more directly connected to the DOJ, the FBI. So Elon Musk fired him yesterday. Good for him. But they're everywhere. These, these people who are compromised, these traitors, they're all over the place. And they're working as hard to cover up their own lawlessness as they are to attack Donald Trump. It says here, Barr, Barr uh, resigned in December, ostensibly outraged by Trump's demands that the DOJ investigate election fraud. 
Is that so bad for a president to say, look, you, you should at least investigate it. Look at how they're unleashing investigations all over the place now. I mean, if Obama nods in approval, they're off and running with special counsel this or that. But the very institutions that Barr directed had interfered in the 2020 election as they had in the 2016 and 2018 vote. Federal law enforcement authorities had again defrauded the U.S. electorate, this time under the nose of the man who was hired to restore their credibility. Bill Barr was supposed to come in and clean house. He didn't do it. He just joined them. He surrendered. And now he's out, he's out on the anti-Trump book tour. It says, because Barr didn't bring the FBI to heel, and because Durham has failed to convict anyone for Russiagate, federal law enforcement's anti-democracy campaign continues unabated. It just continues. I mentioned this, this new documentary that Tucker Carlson has been promoting on uh, Fox Nation. Listen to him on one of the Fox shows yesterday as he describes some of the contents of this documentary and the, the laptop, the Biden crime family laptop, clip eight. Well, I knew him really well. Um, and I, I always liked him. I mean, mm -hmm. he's my neighbor and friend and had dinner with him a bunch. I mean, I knew him. Um, but in the background, I knew, and I knew people who worked with him in his business, that he was effectively selling access to his dad. Yeah. And I'll just be totally honest about it. I did never really thought about it because I lived in D.C. for 35 years where people sell access to government officials. They're called lobbyists. And that's kind of the business of the city. And I never really thought, wow, that's kind of a crime. Though. And it turns out, based on what we know now from the laptop, that it was absolutely criminal. That his, And the reason we made this documentary was not to inform you that he was doing something wrong. Everyone knows that. It was to take a long-form piece and explain it and show on the screen exactly how we know this. It's not a partisan attack. It's not attacking the president's son. This guy shared a bank account with his dad while his dad was the vice president. His dad was bringing him on trips, including to China. He was doing business with the people he met on those government trips and kicking back the money to his dad. That's not an allegation. That is shown on the laptop, which is why they suppressed it. It's shown on the laptop. All this criminal behavior, it's, you, you can prove it. It's there on the laptop, which is why they suppressed it. They, being the DOJ and the media, they covered it up. And none of this, even now that it's been exposed, fully exposed, none of it's disqualifying, I guess. Not to John Bolton, not to the lieutenant governor in Georgia, not to Mitch McConnell. Just carry on with Joe Obama. You know, Barack Obama pulling the puppet strings of, of, of Joe Biden. And, and maybe he's even still getting the 10% from the CCP. Never mind. Have you seen Donald Trump's tweet? Can you believe any of this? It's, it's true. It's happening. Two years ago, 51, 51 people from the intel community signed an affidavit all of them saying this as it's a classic, classic Russian disinformation, this laptop that Donald Trump keeps talking about. They swore. They swore that it wasn't legit, that it was fake, that Donald Trump and Giuliani, they were the crazy ones. It's amazing what they collectively said in that statement. It has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. That was, what, October 19th, 2020. 
two years ago, just two, three weeks ahead of the election, the presidential election. It has all the the Hunter Biden laptop has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. And they they were experts. These were people like John Brennan. These were people that headed up the CIA, that headed up the Department of Homeland Security or worked at the FBI. I mean, higher ups, the DOJ, all of them together, 51 It says, Russia was trying, in their expert opinion, this is from a Miranda Devine piece, in their expert opinion, quote, the Russians are involved in the Hunter Biden email issue. The Russians are involved. Remember Donald Trump at the debate? Seriously, you're going you're gonna to go Russia, Russia, Russia again? They had, to, they, had to, <laughs> they had to bring out this old tired trope again. They had to resurrect it again and stamp it. It was a cut and paste job. You know, you have the Russia collusion hoax. Now you just kind of use some of the same content, slap it on the Hunter Biden laptop. Good to go. And you can get 51 intel agents to sign off on it, to lie about it. That's right. Russia was, quote, trying to influence how Americans vote in the election. In fact, in fact, these people were trying to influence how Americans voted in that presidential election. This is proof enough that the election was rigged. Leave aside the mules if you want. Leave aside the machines if you want. Leave aside all of the anomalies for a moment. And just think about the power of the DOJ, the FBI, the CIA, coming together and lying about the Hunter Biden laptop it says here, Moscow will pull out the stops to do anything possible to help Trump win and or weaken Biden should he win. And the truth of it is they were pulling out all the stops to help Biden get Trump out of office, to help Joe Obama remove Donald Trump. It says a laptop op fits the bill as the publication of the emails are clearly designed to discredit Biden. It's just classic earmarks of Russian disinformation. Not one of those intel agents, not one of the 51 has since apologized for lying to America. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you tomorrow. <laughs>